Yeah, David, um, welcome to the Bluemex Virtual Podcast. How are you yeah. doing, man? I'm very well. I'm good. I'm good. I hope Paul is good there over in Canada. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Canada's great. Uh, I literally went outside to get to my car today. I looked around my neighborhood. It's dead. And it's beautiful weather outside, and it's so weird. Because no, usually yeah. people are walking around, going to, you know, the kids are out. And it's so quiet out here. But it's like, nice. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it nice. making, it's kind of making us all, we live in the countryside in Oxfordshire and I've been running quite a lot because I don't see anybody. And I have to say, I'm starting to appreciate the countryside a little bit more than maybe I did before it started, right? So um, there might be some good that comes <coughs> out of what we're going through. I hope, anyway, uh, we might become nicer people and actually appreciate that uh, we live on a pretty fantastic planet, so... No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you, you were talking about this earlier before as well. Like, you're in London right now. Um, are you in London City or where are you? No, no, I'm in. So we no, no, because I can't stand London. So yeah. we live in. Uh, I don't like cities. So we live. Uh, my family and I. We live in um, Oxfordshire, which is sort of like 50 miles north of London, um, okay. and we're in the Cotswolds. So it's like proper postcard United Kingdom, right? And nice. and where we live in a we live in a little hamlet. And we, we don't really see anybody anyway. So, so isolation for us is not being able to go out like in the cars and stuff, but it's sort of normal. But the only other thing is we have the children home now and, um, my, and I've been helping businesses, which I didn't realize last week that we'd have the children until probably September. Um, so between my wife and I, we're doing the Murray Hundley's uh, world of schooling, which is, mm. I think mummy's doing the serious stuff. I'm doing the fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> How's that been for you? Uh, is it a bit of change? Have the kids around all the time on the school? Like, are you involved? Oh, God, now? yeah. yeah. I, I love them. Like, I love them yeah. to pieces. However, uh, and as, as, as mummy does as well, but um, there's a reason they go to school. And I have a massive respect for teachers now. <laughs> so, um, and you know, you, we've got a we've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old. So they're like, they want a hundred percent attention. So, but it's it's you know, Monday I was really stressed about it, and my wife calmed me down and said, David, you know, we're, we're taking this a bit too seriously. So, uh, but it's it's also fun. Like I did French online with them yesterday. Uh, there's been some cool stuff we've done, and uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, she's going to be the fittest healthiest girl when she goes back to school like she did a two and a half k <laughs> run yesterday with me so wow. yeah so you know there's good coming out of this no that's great um how do you find uh, educating your kids like are you having a hands-on being an educator now like trying to help them with math skills, skills like that or are you trying to go more you know this is what daddy does this is what entrepreneurs <laughs> do you know i try to give them an alternative education yeah yeah, so, um, yeah, we did maths this morning, uh, and, um, you know, I wasn't a big school person, so I'm probably not the best person to be <laughs> educating my daughters. However, um, they're doing other things. So my, my, we're doing boxing, because we've got a boxing thing out in the garden. We're doing sports. Uh, we're going to do uh, a simu racing simulator, because my oldest wants to go-kart. So, you know, give us six months. We've got 23 weeks, right, I reckon, of, of this. Yeah. So um, she's going to be the best go-karter. My youngest will fully adopt talking properly and things like that. So it's an adventure, right? And, then, and, and so I said to you earlier, there's people who are dealing with a lot worse. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to be okay. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so you, your kids are like two and five, so they require a lot of attention. How's that taking, is it taking time away from your work? I know you've been, last time we talked, you've been on the phone constantly with entrepreneurs on the world trying to just talk to them, give them advice. Yeah. How's that going? Yeah. So um, there's been a few calls where the, the, my daughters have been on the trampoline. <laughs> um, and, and that, that's, yeah, that's the nature. And I think what's going to come out of this is with people working at home, and I've been working at home for like 20 something years, right? So this is not a new thing for me. Um, yeah. I think there's going to be, you know, you have to put up with certain, no, you have to do shorter calls and you have to put up with right now children in the background and running in on video conferences. They won't do it now, by the way, but yeah, they, they, you know, it's a reality, right? So, um, but mummy and I have been very, very good at, figuring out each day who can kind of cover what you know i had a four hour board meeting the other day and my poor wife had to deal with four hours so um it is changed but you know what we're discovering in my businesses as well so one of the me fundamentals in particular um we put out there do people want to work different time zones so we've got staff working six till ten o'clock in the evening um, because they've got family at home or they've got parents that they're looking after. So there's got to be flexibility. And as my wife said to me, flexible working is finally getting a look in, right? So companies yeah. have really in the UK tried to kind of steer away from flexible working. Um, but it's finally getting listened to. And, and, mm -hmm. and I think when we come out of this horror story that we're going through at the moment, the world, the business world will be a very different place, actually. And I think there will be a lot of CEOs and, and people like myself going, why did we spend all this money on all this office space in some part of the city? And why did we travel? Like, like, like spend so much money on air travel, which is not good for the planet anyway, but let alone, yeah, not a great use of time. So there's going to be good things comes out of the next six months, 12 months, I think. No, definitely. I mean, that's like the positive light that come, came out of this whole crisis is people finding alternate means of existing and doing work and, uh, and progressing onwards and showcasing that, you know, a lot of the things we took for granted back in the, back, you know, the pre-COVID era was, uh, it, it can be adjusted. You know, we mm -hmm. talked about, you know, we, we can't work from home. How do you handle a workforce virtually? People are not going to be productive. People are not going to do things. But, you know, now we are forced to. And people yeah. are getting stuff done. And you've got to get on with it, right? So I think everyone's had their moment of uh, probably, you know, a bit self-indulged and not feeling great about it. Yeah, I think that's a human thing. Um, no one could have planned for what's happening. You know, I think I said to you before, <laughs> in the UK, we were due a recession, to be honest. You know, history in the UK generally repeats itself every 10 years. And we were 11 years and, and definitely due a recession. We could never have planned for what is happening. This is the catalyst to it all. And, um, and I've spoke to, I think today, I'm on 101 companies today. I've spoke to in a week. So it's been pretty exhausting um, and emotional at times. There's some people who are really scared out there, scared for themselves and their families, but scared for their businesses and what, what happens, you know? And some people have put years of work into to what they're doing. Um, and as I keep saying to them, you know, there's the reality and the reality is maybe not what everyone wants to hear in the next year, two years. However, 
we will get through this and yep. you know we'll be stronger people out the back of there i know when i've been through bad times um it, you know the, the saying that you know makes you stronger is absolutely spot on so um yeah this is a real wake-up call i think for businesses it's been interesting certainly in the startup space that there's a lot of entrepreneurs this is their first time of a downturn where uh, where they're either not employed or that's their startup yeah and it doesn't matter what age you are you can be a 60 year old with your first startup right you're 70 year old with your first startup um so i think it's been a bit of a wake-up call going oh wow okay you know it literally stops money investment can kind of stop just like that um and i've been saying for two years probably annoying a lot of people that you need to plan for the money to the money tap to start you know turn off and there's been too many business plans out there that i've seen and i see a lot mm. um you know oh, we're going to raise money now and then we're going to raise money in six months and we're going to raise money in 12 and i'm like how the hell do you know right so it's kind of so it goes back to basics as i keep saying to people the startup book uh, that everyone loves to read is out the window uh and it's you know it's a it's a survival thing for a lot of businesses out there now and it's not just startups right i mean i'm hearing even today uk plcs uh, very large businesses that are scrambling for cash not paying dividends uh making staff redundant and they're all you know they're all ready for a roller coaster ride to start yeah no absolutely um i mean this ties back into the sediment of our times, right? Like people being confused and trying to react to uh, a situation that's pretty novel in our generation. I, so I want to kind of diagnose this, right? You, you've been on a call. You said you've been on a call for about 101 companies this week trying to talk to them. What was the motivation behind that? What were we trying to achieve? Um, so my kind of story goes way back. So way back when I was 18, I had the unfortunate thing of losing a parent and my other parent kind of disappearing for a bit. And, um, and I was, you know, I'd always been quite a sheltered young, young man. And I had a choice between working uh, or sleeping in, in bus shelters in the UK, mm -hmm. right? The odd time, not a lot, but the odd time. And, and trust me, if you, in December in the UK, if you've ever slept in a bus shelter, it's pretty, it's not the nicest thing, right? And people have to deal with this all the time. So it kind of strengthened me up a bit. And it also, people were really kind to me. Like I had some people who were just amazing to me, mm. gave me beds and stuff like that. They did, and you never discussed it. It was just like this thing that I was doing, but no one kind of embarrassed me about it. So I knew then I'd always do the right thing. Um, and, you know, and I was then fortunate enough at 21 to be living in New York and then 24 in San Francisco, 25 in Monaco and just, I've had a lot of luck on my side, a lot of great opportunities. And I've, I've had great people around me and you don't lose that. Even though even the toughest stuff in business, you still have some you know, pretty core foundations and morals. And so uh, about two weeks ago, I was in my local town where I was born, which is called Banbury. It's quite a small market town. And I went to a coffee shop. I went to get my hair cut uh, in my friend's new salon, which is now shut. Um, get my hair, get, get, grab a coffee, and it was a private coffee house. And the, the gentleman kept thanking me for supporting him, buying coffee and cake and stuff. And you could see in his eyes that it was the end of his business. He was going to have to close the doors. 
and it was the end. And I ended up having a very brief conversation with him about where his cash flow was and things like that. And I just decided, do you know what? There's going to be loads of businesses out there that were like me in the dot com bubble when it burst. Um, and, I, and I was scared and didn't really know what to do. And yeah. so the motivation was if I can save one business from going, you know, bankrupt, then that's a pretty good thing, right? So if we all do yeah, the same yeah. thing, like if all those, you know, people like myself, experienced entrepreneurs and chairmen of companies, et cetera, do the same thing, then we save a lot of businesses. And so I put, put it out there on LinkedIn originally and I put a, a calendar thing up and it was just literally <laughs> bombarded. Um, and it is next week as well, a little bit, but, um, and I've joined up with a, a thing in the UK that actually is a, an association in, in Canada, which is Tech London mm -hmm. Advocates. And we've, we're, we're, we're helping people out there because I think it's not just founders. There's, there's people who are struggling with the isolation of not, being in a busy environment there's some founders that really don't know what they're facing and um, and there are there are people that livelihoods are disappearing so my motivation is that i get to help people and it pays back all those years ago to when i was 18 and um and i will continue to be that way and probably until i'm 80 so <laughs> wow i mean that's that's a great origin story man uh, sleeping in bus shelters to you know now being an investor on uh, on investment boards and uh, helping companies grow and scale. Uh, we we talked a little earlier about this when we first talked earlier in the week about your journey there, and I, I really like how you compared this to the, the dot com bubble, right? That burst. Yeah. And in the sense that this virus, what it did was pretty much uh, pretty much uh, overnight showcase how fragile a system was and burst the bubble that we weren't even really apparent of, right? So can we talk about that? What is the comparison between the dot-com bubble now and what's going on right now? Like is it people being over leveraged so, and something? Yeah. Yeah, so if you look at, if you look at the dot-com, right? So I, I was very fortunate to be in the founding team of one of the best dot-com stocks on NASDAQ at the time called Commerce One. And we hit 22 billion market cap uh, in oh 1999, God. right? Holy. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a big number <laughs> yeah 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 and we never made a profit. i know we made profit one quarter but um our burn rate was crazy and it was the crazy times of massive valuations based on predictions predictions on market and and getting all the fortune com companies on your on your as clients and stuff and people were living the dream right including myself and we kind of thought it would carry on going up and what I've learned is what goes up must come down. And the similarity is, is it was already happening. And then we had the unfortunate thing of 9-11. Of and that just was the catalyst for, okay, it's all like, like now it's really odd. Like, you know, the, the bubble was burst. And money investment dried up overnight. There was companies with amazing, colossal amounts of investment out there. Uh, more so in the US than there was in Europe. And, mm. um, you know, it was economic panic, right? People just, they panicked, they were scared. And, mm. and, I, I, can, and I compare it to the, the dot-com bubble because we were getting the same way, right? Valuations being crazy again, 
and valuations on really small businesses as well where you know they were just never going to sustain that level and are now probably looking at down rounds money the, the scary thing this time is, is that money's become a lot cheaper than i think it was in the dot-com boom so people have really like founders have taken loans out and you know way back at the start of their journey because it's cheap debt here in the uk i mean it's really cheap debt um and you know it got very noisy you know i remember in the dot-com boom it, you know everyone suddenly had a web company you know mm. i think i was i was giving a story to someone earlier that i used to live uh, between monaco and banbury in oxfordshire right because banbury was my real friends <laughs> and monaco was kind of living the lifestyle and uh, i used to come back here and everyone knew that i was this guy had this you know lifestyle and i knew people in normal jobs suddenly saying to me oh well i've got a web company now you know <laughs> and if you went to silicon valley and you lived in walnut creek or pleasanton everyone had a web business and it was and it's kind of become the same thing again if you just go onto linkedin everyone's an entrepreneur everyone's a ceo everyone's mm -hmm. a founder no one seems to do a normal job job anymore yeah. <laughs> right? so i think it's it's got quite noisy and you know when, when this happens it usually clears out the pretenders if you like um but there's a lot of similarities and i'm you know i'm the vcs are telling me it's business as usual however mm. in the uk right now they're raising money for their fund which starts on april 5th and I'm, I'm imagining that it's probably the lowest it's been in a long time in terms of those raises. And, you know, the VCs are looking after their own investments that they have. So we have one of our businesses. We had tranches of, uh, of, of money due and, and you know, the VCs being really supportive, saying, well, we'll, we'll do the deal now. Um, but capital will get expensive. And it got expensive last time. Capital got really expensive. And, yeah. you know, the, the other similarity as well is that we had this thing in the UK, a tax incentive for people to invest £20,000 or £10,000 or £50,000 or kind of that smaller, smaller cash and not really understanding what investment's about <laughs> in some areas. So they've got burnt and the ones who haven't got burnt who are high net worths are sitting there going, well, why would I invest now? Because in six months time, the valuations are going to drop on all these businesses so my investments become like cut by half so um you know it's it's very similar and i'm sure that you know like what happened last time there was it, it cleared out as the dead wood i'd like to call it and it created lots of opportunity tons of opportunity you know i keep saying to the businesses i'm talking to if you get through this next period of time <laughs> you'll get through anything um so uh it's uh, it's it's. I don't want to say it's a good thing because I think what's going on is not a good thing at all. But I, you know, it will reset the counter if you like. Mm -hmm. No, I, I really like that sentiment because um, it, it brings you back that quote, right? Like, uh, hard people create good times, and then good times create soft people, and soft people create hard times, right? The yeah. cycle that goes through, and I think we enter in a new a part of that cycle where. Cash again is, is dried up. So it's no longer about who you know, who's going to finance you, but the actual product or service you're doing and who's yeah. meant for, what's the pain points. So I think that clearly clarifies the market. And mm -hmm. making money, right? So like yeah. I kind of always grew up thinking businesses were supposed to make money. So I think what it brings it down to is <clears throat> making revenue, 
And if you weren't making revenue, figure out how you make revenue, keeping costs down, you know, really looking at cost base. And I've had conversations this week where people think they're on their, like their lowest burn rate. And I'm like, nah, go look again, because you'll have nice to haves in there without a doubt. It's about cash flow. You know, I see businesses really manage cash flow management poorly. Um, and it's been interesting as well. And I'll say this because I won't be naming anyone, but mm. I've obviously had all these companies call me, right? So I look at their business and they've got this like board of advisors on their business <laughs> who they're paying <laughs> and they're ringing me. Oh, wow. So I'm going, so why are you calling me? Because you've got like nine advisors. Why, what are, are they not advising you? And, and it's been, you know, I've been saying for years that too many companies want the advisory board of a, a beauty parade and not actual experience and been there and done it. And so it's been interesting that they're all, all these founders are calling me going, David, what do I do? And I'm like, wow, gosh, I should have, I should have got on your business like two years ago, three years ago. Um, Cause I know me, you know, the business I'm involved with, you know, when I, a couple of weeks ago when I thought, right, okay, this is, this is probably crunch time. I was on the phone to founders going, have you closed that money? Have you done this? Have you done that? Right. We need a contingency plan for the next two years to get through this. You know, even if we've got money, we don't take it for granted. And we're going to make some assumptions that actually sales will drop and clients are doing the same as ours and, and things like that. And that's, you know, that's what advisors should do, man. Like not just sit on a website and look pretty. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think it goes back to the struggle, right? So when I was coming up and started my first few companies and transitioned to the tech world, so yeah. I mentioned before, but I started three companies before I'm 25. Two of them are more traditional companies. First one was like a security camera installation company that actually boomed pretty pretty big. Second one was a scrap metal business. Third one was my tech venture. And when I transitioned, what I realized is like with, with tech venture, you kind of have to fit a mold. You have to look a certain way, use a certain kind of typography on your website, you know, and as long as you fit this like characteristics of what it, uh, what it should look like, you get traction, right? You get traction from people who want to work with you, people who, you know, uh, value what you're trying to do, people who are, want to invest with you, right? And um, a lot of times, yeah. a lot of, especially tech companies, try to fit an image of like, you know, a, a characteristics, you know, from like, oh, these are the values we portray very left-wing kind of like libertarian values, right? Liberal values to, you know, we're minority founders, we're minority, like look at our team, it's, it's very diverse, right? You hit these kind of milestones and hit these kind of image characteristics, if you, if you will, and it certainly gets you validation in the marketplace, even though your product has had no traction. And then you can raise money yeah. and then start that funding cycle that funds you and keep you going, right? With the hopeful balance that you'll one day hit, hit, hit net positive. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It's kind of been, I always, yeah. uh, I, I kind of describe it as I'll give you a few examples. So I wrote an article a few years ago, probably five years ago, actually, maybe even six. And I said, we have this TV show called X Factor. And um, I don't know if you have it over there, but it's, you know, one of those talent shows, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't sing. Like, honestly, not going to happen. I may think I can, but I can't sing. So I don't go on X Factor and stand on stage and go and waste my time. And what I described it was is that the startup scene got a bit like X Factor, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, down at the, the bar, everyone's going, you should do that startup. Oh, it's all great. You can raise some money. 
And then the other side of it is someone today actually was very interesting, a, a chap who's in property, not, not even in tech. And he said, David, can I make an observation that if you're a good salesman and you look the right way and the deck looks good, you can go and raise this, this tax incentive money like really easily. And I laughed and went, you're spot on. It's absolutely yeah. what the problem has been. And I always said to people that when you get, you know, I get a lot of decks, so I did, I did get a lot of decks head my way. And um, it's like, who shouts the loudest? Not necessarily the best product, not necessarily even the best team. Um, you're, you know, the founders haven't even put their own money in at risk. And it's, it's become a bit, as the, the dot-com stuff, it became too easy, right? And it's like, you know, I'm speaking to companies now and they're, they're saying, well, you know, we're doing R&D. And I'm like, oh, that's wonderful because no one's going to pay for R&D probably for a bit. You know, get your product to market. And that happened in dot-com. You know, I, there was a business that I effectively paid a dollar for uh, after I went bankrupt. So when Commerce One, I, I, I finished with Commerce One and that went chapter 11, I went bust. So I was kind of starting again. And it was a company called Utility One. And they'd had, it was something like $250 million invested by shareholders into this business, right? Because it was the old times when, you know, tech was expensive. And uh, I think we paid a dollar and they did a deferred deal if we sold the business. And they'd never got it to market. And I can name so many companies that never got to market. And... Yeah. It's interesting because you put the right team around it. We brought it to Europe because it didn't really work in the US model. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty much the same now. There'll be companies that have probably spent so much money on tech, you know, and, and not ever gone to market. And you think, you know, you sit with them, you say, just release something, like get something out there. Because you probably think you know, but you don't actually know, right? The, you know, the people will tell you how good your product is and whether you can sell it. And it's like this, yep. um, what I've seen in the UK, it's been really bad, is people really good at raising money, good at coming up with crazy ideas, and they think they're the only person on the planet that's come up with that idea, mm -hmm. um, but can't actually sell anything. Like they can sell their business to raise money, but you go, well, go sell something. And they, like, they hit this, it's certainly in the UK, they hit this, this brick wall. And so um, I'm expecting to see a lot of, businesses that have had a lot of money invested and, and literally not really got anywhere. And right now, you know, the investment investment in the next year, two years will be about um, people around the business that have actually been there and done it and can get the business through those years and making cash and keeping, you know, actually back to the old basics of business. Right. And then like you said, you said yourself, you've got traditional businesses in the past. I think traditional businesses, great. Cause you know what they don't yeah they're not facebook but there's only one facebook and there's only one linkedin you know but they're real businesses that make real money and supply jobs and keep they don't have hype and they don't have ego they're just real bread and butter businesses and you know we come out of this you know we may realize that um you know <laughs> global supply chains is maybe not the best idea and um, and traditional mm -hmm. businesses get a looking again yeah yeah um yeah just a touch point on that right so not just businesses raising capital so pitch competitions right there's something i realized from pitch competitions very early on there was like a, like a series of professional pitchers who would go and pitch at competitions ideas that they had no intention of running but they'll have a semblance of like 
an amazing deck, a website, like a look yeah. so so polished, but yeah. nothing, no substance behind them. And they would win, get all this money, and disappear, right? Yeah. Or worse, continue to build this spiral effect, right? Yeah. And I worked. I was fortunate enough to work within a university incubator environment, right? So the University of Toronto has about ten incubators. Um, they're co-collected with like other new universities have a bunch of incubators. Like Rice University here will have three. Now that they have five, York has three. York University, right? And then there's global ones. And there'll be people who will come into us innovation center and be like, "Hey, this is what I'm doing," but then they'll go get an intern or a partner at like another university so they can apply and become another incubator there. And then they're getting research from multiple incubators coming in, be able, be able to apply for the uh, pitch competitions there through them, yeah. get resources there. And then the incubators can't do anything because as long as they have momentum, yeah. they're like, oh, they're feeding the brand. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And it, even though they know they're parasitic, yeah. they're like, this is just the cost of doing business. So I have a, I have a rule, right? If I get a yeah. deck, and the first thing it talks about is how many accelerators they've been in or incubators <laughs> and how many awards they've won. I generally go, Oh, here we go. Yeah. Like I'm literally like, okay, that one's to the side. You know, if I had someone today say to me that uh, they, their business had won a number of, of awards. And I, <laughs> I was like, I don't really care. I can't buy yeah. a beer yeah. with an award. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so, you know, it's, it's become that as well. And you're right. I mean, I, I see some people who pitch really well, like amazingly well. Yeah. Uh, they can't run a business for toffee, but they, they pitch well. And, uh, and they do, they go around the circuit and, um, and it's all become a little bit, I don't want to say dragon's den, but it's, you know, I sit, I've, I stopped sitting on panels probably about three years ago with these events because I got fed up with the companies that were too polished. And then we got one guy who was really shy, but had an amazing idea and actually had an amazing business, but couldn't pitch to save his life, right? Or she couldn't pitch to save her life. Um, and then the people on the panel thinking they were in Dragon's Den, it just, it, you know, just not very pleasant to people. And there's no reason to be rude to people, right? It's like, we're all, we've all started at some point and, uh, and sitting on stage and, acting like an idiot is is not the way to behave so i stopped doing them um, i got asked a lot and i just went no, i'm not doing them anymore i've got better things to do in my time so but you're right um and it and it's not again dissimilar to the dot-com stuff that the same thing happened but there are some people out there that know how to raise money and i and i you know my hat goes off to them when they have these appalling businesses i got an email this morning i won't name the company of a business i met three years ago and i already thought his business was not very good and they hadn't actually made any sales but they'd made it they'd raised so much money and then i heard about eight months ago that they were on their they, they were close to closing and today i get an email that they're raising money in this climate and i'm just like wow some people are astonishing yeah. <laughs> i wish i had that front <laughs> <laughs> yeah some people find a way and they just keep grinding it out and they'll get what they want it is unfortunate that they build the shell of a business rather than the business itself. Yeah. And I don't think it's ne negative. It's uh, too much to say about the person as much as the environment, right? Where the infrastructure is there. We allow it to happen. Right. And it's a bit like, I don't know if you have much of it in Canada, but we have a thing over here, um, crowdfunding. So yeah. and crowd crowdfunding in the last five years, about five years ago became massive in the UK. Right. It was like the easiest way on the planet to raise money. And, um, 
because people would pitch that their company was the next Facebook or Microsoft or Google and mm. man on the street will go, oh, wow, I've got a thousand dollars. I'll stick that in and get really bad terms. And, yeah. um, and I was looking at them today, actually, because I'm really not a fan, as you can probably tell. Um, yeah. I, I won't name the platforms. And I was looking at the platforms today. And in five years, one of the platforms, which is very well known in the UK, has had one exit in five years out of mm -hmm. hundreds and yeah. hundreds of businesses. The other one has had no, no exits. And, and most of the companies have gone bust. And again, and too easy, like just too easy to raise money. And, you know, I end up getting decks from people going, oh, we're on this platform and this platform. And you're like, wow, we allow this to happen. So, you know, it's a bit like, the, you know, there are the serial companies that would be the one at the pitch event is probably crowdfunding as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, crowdfunding is a big thing here. But one of the things that really, uh, really took off in Toronto is a company called uh, ClearBank. They do revenue based. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, uh, there's a few of them out there, but ClearBank really stepped up a notch. I really like, like it really changed the model because I think the reason they boomed so big is not, they say that it's like, you know, if you're, if you're a founder, why give away equity, you know, take these loans and use it to build your business, right? So it's equity free financing. But I think really what it proves is, is revenue, a revenue model, right? Yep. Here, plug your business, hey, plug in your Stripe account, right? Prove how much are you making and we'll yeah, fund yeah. you based off of that. And I think that's an amazing concept because it forces a lot of companies, Toronto companies as well themselves because they're like, if we can like, say we're clear bank funded, that itself is like a flex, right? It, it's like, it's an award. It's like, hey, we can even get yeah. hey, clear bank funded us, right? We're, the brand is behind us. So now it's like, how do we get that? Oh, we actually have to go get revenue. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it has changed the model where it's like, oh, cool. I got to go get revenue now. And as long as I get revenue, I can get money this way. Whereas before it was like, if I can build a shell of a business that looks and fun looks a certain way and feels a certain way, then I can get investment dollars come in to build, actual, build an actual business, whatever that might be. Yeah. We can just pivot if yeah. need be, right? So, yeah. And so, that I mean, you know, that, yeah. And I think, you know, we, we got pulled away, I think, from, from making revenue. You know, I always, I, when I've looked at investments, my first, in fact, one of the companies I'm chairman for eFundamentals, um, almost four years now, and I was only, and uh, John, the CEO, he's a very, very ex-corporate guy, very, um, very smart guy. And the first time I met him, I was doing a talk in London and uh, on, on how companies screw up, actually, was actually my talk. And um, he was at the back of the room with my FD, James. And uh, we went to the pub afterwards. And he said to me, like, you know, how do I get you on board? And I said, go sell something. <laughs> like, go prove to me you can sell something. And, and John's a good sales guy. Like, he's really good. Um, yeah. And he did. Like, he went out and he sold. And he rang me up and said, right, we've done this deal. Um, and um, we went from there. And I think, you know, for me, I don't care if a company sells one thing. At least they've proved that someone will buy it. You know, most of the time, people put these models models out and I'm like and no one gets it right okay like no one gets it right first time you're very lucky if you do you know you're constantly looking at your business model and and even the way you sell I mean uh, you know I look at eFundamentals and we we have some we have an amazing client list um 
However, I know John is and the team are constantly like looking and going, we can do this better and this better and this better. And we thought this was top level and now it's, we need to be up here. Um, you know, and we look at SAS models and stuff. And, you know, we just, we're constantly trying to improve. In fact, what's been interesting about what's going on in the world right now is the really good companies are going, this is a great opportunity once we settle our workforce down to take stock of where we are right? Because it's kind of a little bit less pressure in some areas. And they're saving money on travel and office space so they can spend more on marketing. So, you know, a lot of the businesses I'm working with are looking at their business model. They're looking at their sale, the way they sell, like just going, how do we sell? How do we sell better? When we come out of this, how do we market better and look better? You know, eFundamentals, we're trying to break the US at the moment. We opened office up in Chicago in, in November. And we're like, you know, how do we look right to be doing the deals with with the big brands that we want to do deals with so you know we're taking it as a real opportunity to to kind of look at ourselves you know and businesses evolve constantly and you know you need to change so i think if i was any businesses are listening to this and you know are worried don't you know it's okay to be worried don't be scared right but also just find that take it as an opportunity to take a bit of a deep breath because the startup world is so quick. It's like, boom, 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 boom. And everyone feels like they've got to do their, build the product today to be ahead of the competition. And there is actually no competition. So why are we all stressing about it? <laughs> and, you know, nothing, it's going to wait, right? I mean, I spoke to a gaming company the other day that had a choice of the following, and he won't mind me saying this, revenue or building some product for the next two years. And they've already got a product. So I'm going, well, you're trying to raise money. You're not going to raise money. So get that revenue in. And it's a big number. Um, the other stuff can wait. And sometimes as I learned with commerce one, the stuff we did at commerce one that hit 22 billion, by the way, we weren't the first to market. The first to market was a company called Intellisys, which was owned by Chase Manhattan uh, and happened to be in New York who I worked for when I was 21 years old. Right. And we had everything that commerce one had, like two or three years earlier, but too early. We were early adopters. We were way too early for market. And the, the week that we were well, effectively the, the quarter that we IPO'd Commerce One, Intellisys went, went chapter 11. So mm. it is all about timing. And there's a lot of luck. You know, I, I was talking to a chairman, uh, sorry, a CEO yesterday on a business where we had some challenges last year. And he said to me, I don't know if it's dumb luck, <laughs> but like we got lucky that we actually had all those issues last year because it kind of delayed all the other stuff we did which is now good and it means we haven't burned through all that cash and stuff like that so you know people think it's like intelligence there's a little bit of intelligence but a lot of the stuff we all do is luck right and timing absolutely i i, I talk to a lot of founders and i feel because of the chaos of the environment right timing luck and about like the idea that you're you're in the, in the in the right place at the right time is a very spiritual element almost when it comes to founding yeah. a company, right? Like you're putting you're taking an idea that exists in your head and you're putting it out in the marketplace, making it real, right? You're birthing something new into the world, into the universe, and uh, there's a very spiritual element to that. And a lot of people who kind of look at it as a semblance of I love this idea, I owe it to this idea to build to to push it as much as I can go. They feel a lot more freer in a sense where they're not looking to all the noise. They're looking at, you know, how can I build yeah, this absolutely. baby? To, right? 
Um, yeah, and I, so I completely yeah. agree. Completely agree with that. Because I think there's yeah. too many people who look at numbers and they think they have to do an IPO of a billion or whatever. And all they care about is the cash. And if you're doing a business because of that element first, you shouldn't be doing the business, right? So I often say yeah. to people like, Everyone's like, yeah, how did you end up at Commerce One? And it was it was it was being in the right place at the right time, luck, experience. But I never did it. I can tell this story. This is a true story. Okay, so when I uh, joined Commerce One, I was given all these things called stock options, right? Mm. And um, back in the late nineties, no one really knew what stock options was. And at a twenty-four year old, I was like, "What are stock options? Like, I'm getting a massive. I'm getting a, for me a big salary, so I'm kind of happy, and I'm working this amazing technology and this amazing company." I'm a happy, I'm a happy guy. And uh, the day we IPO'd in July, 99, and the day before we IPO'd, I was um, stuck in a traffic jam uh, in the UK. And I got a phone call from our lawyer in Walnut Creek. And he said, David, have you signed that paperwork we gave you in January? And I was like, uh, you mean the big thick file of paperwork? Yeah, have you signed it? And I was like, no, still in the back of my car. And um, it had been there for six months. <laughs> and uh, he goes, well, we IPO tomorrow. Uh, you need to sign it. Uh, and, uh, and luckily I did. And faxed it. I haven't faxed it. I mean, imagine faxing these days. But the thing, my point is, I never did it because of that. Like, the, the, you know, making all the money out of stock options and, and the IPO. I did it because I loved doing it. And I felt like yeah. we were changing the world. And the New York stuff, you know, when it didn't feel like we were changing the world anymore, I came back to the UK. But everything i've done business wise i've done it because i really want to do it it's it's either the people involved because it's really important because you might spend 10 years working with them and if they're lunatics they're going to drive you nuts um but also because you've got you've got to enjoy it and believe in it and the money side is great don't get me wrong but it will come i mean if it's the right thing it will come and luck will play a massive part in timing and I do agree that it's got to, you know, I see too many people hooked up on being, you know, I, I'll say it again, there's one Facebook, right? Like, don't try and be Facebook, just be the best you can be. And just, you know, if you see the smallest thing in the, in, as, a, as an idea, and it seems boring to everyone else, and it's probably the right thing, because I think there's this mentality that everyone is like sheep, they all follow each other, right? Yeah. So everyone goes off to do this amazing idea over here for this month. And actually, this little simple thing over here that is, I call it the flea on the dog, right? So be the flea on the dog. Cause what happens when you're the flea on the dog, when the dog gets, you know, acquired by the, you know, a Google and you're the little flea on that dog, you're that little part that does a little simple thing in a payment transaction or in integration uh, to another platform, you'll get acquired along with it. You don't have to be the big thing. And it takes a lot to be that, that big thing. And I think, you know, it's all, as you get it, it's all about focus. Too many entrepreneurs try and focus on like a gazillion things. And it's like, well, kind of do the first thing <laughs> and then do maybe a few others. But yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the earliest conversations I had with like, um, like with, with a guy who's a VP, uh, former VP of Enterprise Solutions at Dell, right? So he grew up with Dell from like, from like 20, 30 years ago and he was just doing like phone sales for them. And he was telling me yeah. the story. Like he's now uh, kind of like you, like supporting entrepreneurs. Like he helps them find uh, the story architect, as they call themselves. 
And he does stuff that he loves and he's capable of doing that. And anyways, he was telling me the story. He's like, when he was like 21, 22, he was, he's got a job at this random company called Dell. So he came to market and they're doing sales. And part of, part of the sales quota is that they give you stock options for people who did well, Yeah. right? To keep you with the company. Nobody again knew what, what it was, but when the company, company yeah. went public and the stocks vested, people cashed out. They were getting like $5,000, $6,000, and people were buying like stereos and like upgrading their cars and all this stuff. And people run out of the office and say, what are you doing with your stock? What are you doing with your stock? And he just didn't feel it. He just thought this company, like when everybody else was talking about the job, he saw the growth of the company and like, he's like, I want to double down with this company. This company is doing something. It's, it's growing. And he kept a stock. And that stock went wow. down to work off shitload of money, right? 20 years later. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's interesting too, like, uh, so the trifecta of people, right, involved in the company is the entrepreneur, the, the founders who come in, the founding team that comes and builds the idea. The investors who kind of bring resources and capital infusion to build uh, the, the capabilities of the site. Yeah. But also the professionals who trade professional skills, network, ability, and energy into, into like streamlining a process within the company it's working or finding new ones, right? It really takes this three individuals. So with our podcast, this is what we do is that we bring in founders, but we also bring in investors like yourself and professionals, the trifecta of what it takes an idea to evolve and become a, a viable business is you require people these multifaceted skill sets and resources coming together. And the way I like looking about it is that these ideas live longer than us. Look at Coca-Cola. Right, look at these ideal, like these brands like this that can survive multi-generations, outlive countries even, right? Uh, because they yeah. have an idea that they're, 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 they exist to serve a purpose. Yeah, and I think, you know what? I, um, I, I talk about Commerce One, right? That was 1999. So there was a fair old chunk, you know, um, it was a long time ago. I don't remind me of my age now. But... It still, you know, it still exists up here. It was still one of my best times, if I'm honest. You know, never to be, never to be done again, I don't think, because it was just one of those mm. rare times in history that we were all very lucky. And, um, and you know, I look back at the founders, which was, you know, uh, Thomas Gonzalez Jr., Mark Hoffman. There was the guy, a chap called Mark Beesman, who is like, you know, the ex-guy from Netscape. And there was just like these amazing people and like my mm. own... The guy who got me on board, actually, a guy called John Sofield, who, who was just amazing, who I get to work with now. All these years later, we're working on e-fundamentals together, right? And he's like, he's like my big brother. And it's amazing. And you, and you have all these people pulled together, and suddenly really amazing stuff happens, right? And, and it, it's not about this, this, the, the cash side secondary. It becomes, wow, we could be the best right? Like you start, you know, you get a little bit carried away. Like I, I do think we went through a moment of believing our own hype a little bit and, uh, and reading too much news on, about ourselves, which happens to lots of founders, but we ended up, I mean, we just, we did amazing stuff and, and, you know, I don't have a single regret about commerce one at all. Uh, it made me who I am and it definitely, it definitely shapes me, but I think you do need, you know, I look at the business I'm, I'm chairman for, you know, I get to be the youngest on the board, which I don't get to say very often these days. Okay. So I'm the youngest on this board, but I have this board of people. So I have John, John is, you know, ex, uh, he was an ex managing director of Pepsi over in Germany and Europe. 
I've got another guy, a guy called David Reeves. This guy's amazing. He's, I think, I, I don't want him to be insulted in case he hears this, but I think he's 70, right? Mm. And he acts like a 50-year-old. And mm -hmm. he, uh, he started his career with NASA on Apollo missions, wow. right? And wow. then he ended up being the Sony, VP of EMEA for Sony and PlayStation, right? And he sits on my board. I sit there and look at him and go like, you're amazing. Like, yeah. wow. <laughs> okay. And I've got other people on my board like that. And, um, and you pull us together. And the reason I'm chairman of that company is because none of them have actually done an early stage company before, right? It's always been corporate. So hence I was around, but it's amazing. Like we get together and there's some really great, you know, it makes the business. And then we have a senior management layer that is just amazing. And then the, you know, the people who do the real hard work, including senior management, and it's fantastic, you know, and you need that. Like not one person makes a business, right? Like no, there's anyone who thinks it does is, is crazy. It takes all these people. And one of the things I've done in my career is look for rock stars. So at Commerce One, I was known as being a bit of a rock star, right? Because I'd work 24 hours, go home, shower, come back to the office, do another 24 hours. Sometimes I wouldn't even leave the office. I'd use the office flat that we had, apartment, and go up, get changed, come down, and then do another 24 hours. I mean, I was notorious for it. And then I used to party a lot as well, so I could balance the both. Um, but, we, you know, we need rock stars in businesses, right? And it doesn't have to be the founder. It can be the people who do the job. And I, I'm constantly looking at the businesses going, wow, there's someone with a little, little spark over there right we look we're going to look after that spark and we're going to nurture it and they're going to be a pain in the neck at some point um but hey we were all pain in the necks uh and we're going to we're going to grow on it and you know that's when businesses do well when you see the people that were there from the start still there and gone through through the roller coaster and that is amazing feeling amazing feeling yeah and i you know i look forward to it because i i kind of know what I watch some people and I'm like, wow, you're going to have this like five year journey, 10 year journey. And I'm going to watch you every year and then we're going to get to the end of it. And, you know, hopefully it's success. And, you know, to be a part of that is pretty cool. So. No, absolutely. It seems to, it really seems that you're a passion driven investor where you're more interested in like the, the, in building these things and solving problems for these companies and the money is just extra. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's nice to make some money sometimes, <laughs> um, and um, and it's and that and, and but um, I um, I was so fortunate to have in my twenties what happened in my life, right? Even with going bankrupt, and I was just lucky. And I I watch people and go, we're on this planet for a very very short period of time, so you should have amazing moments in your life and that can doesn't have to be about business that's in family life and and just personal life so to, to see people just grow is a is an amazing feeling like it's you know i've got so many people i've seen their careers their businesses in like 10 years 15 years 20 years evolved and to be part of that is um us it's no money can buy that that that's amazing to see definitely so before we let you go, like one of the things I want to get, dive into is your mentality as an investor yourself, right? Is there a, like how many, I want to, I want to figure out a little bit about how you work, uh, how you function as an investor, right? Um, how many companies do you invest in or are you actually a part of um, like currently? So, yeah, I mean, I have an Excel spreadsheet 
which I need to put on the kitchen door so my wife knows exactly what I've invested into um, in yeah. case anything ever happens to me. But I think I, I looked the other day, I think I'm on something like 55 businesses that I own shares in, right? Um, and they're varying degrees. <laughs> and some will, you know, you kind of know to write off. What I learned to do in probably from about 2013 is some investment banker friends of mine when you're taking too much risk on things. Um, so I've been a lot more cautious and actually there has to be value in it as well. And what I mean by that is it's very easy for founders to spend other people's money. Right. Yeah. And so I take a real like, okay, I want to, you don't like, you don't really know a business until you're involved with it. So I kind of poke my nose in and, and I want to understand that once you get past the, the hype or the BS that what's actually there. And it's generally different from what you've been sold. Um, so now I kind of take a view that um, I'm with some, with like you know, with some investments, I'm four or five years down the line, and you know, it takes you know, it takes eight to ten years really to look get a proper exit. I think this whole three year thing is I don't know where that's come from. That's you know, people get carried away with it, but I think it's you know, if you look at most businesses maturing and getting to the exit part. It's or acquisition. It's it's generally eight years or ten years. You know, IPO. If I hear another company's going to IPO, it's going to drive me nuts. So you know, it's usually a trade sale. Or I have a view. Wouldn't it just be nice to have a company that goes on for thirty years? I mean, imagine that, right? And and you get paid dividends and maybe get paid back your cash. So um, there's nothing wrong in that either. I don't know why people don't think about that more. So um, but now it's it for me. It really is about people because I've met so many founders you get a little bit cynical. So as much as I'm positive, I also get quite cynical, hence the grumpy bit in my title. Um, yeah. And you, you, you hear too much BS. So it's about real numbers and real people and actually going, okay, you can add some value as an individual as well. Right. You know, you, you know, and sometimes they listen, <laughs> sometimes they don't. Um, and the ones who do listen, you spend more time on. So I work with, you know, I work with some amazing founders who I'm very proud to work with. And they, they range from 23 to 60 and um, they amaze me all the time. And, and that's, that's great as an investor. Yeah. You kind of go, okay, this is good. And also there's some people I invest in that they might not do it now with this business, but they will have a successful business. So you're kind of tagging on the back a little bit. Awesome. Um, do you have like a, like, a, like a formula, like a certain check size you, 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 you write, write out to uh, a certain type of company, like certain size you go for? Um, yeah, so go mostly, uh, so I've started going more the kind of early revenue stage on businesses because the pre-revenue, like the, uh, you know, the non-revenue businesses, just, just too many of them and just such mm -hmm. high risk. Uh, and the guys who are actually doing a little bit of revenue, that, is, that would definitely pique my interest. If there was 10 decks on, on the desk and there's ones that are doing revenue, they're definitely more interesting. Um, there's ticket size varies, but it's kind of like, I, I do it with the face. Like I, They tell me I'm going to get a, year, a return in three years. I generally ignore it. I, I, I use the eight year, 10 year thing. Um, 
for me, it's mostly whether with the founders or the, 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 you know, the, the guys running the business, whether uh, I've got a ratio whether I can actually work with them. Like, mm-hmm. are they complete? You know, are they ever going to listen to any advice from anyone and just go gung ho? Um, and actually, I, I, you know, it's the ones where the ones that shock me as well. You know, I had one uh, a guy called Elliot. He's only, I think he's 23. He might be 24 now, but he started a business at university in his gap year. Like most people go to Australia, he just did the business, you know, and I sat with him. I think when I first sat with him, he was doing a million and a half turnover in his first year um, from an access database. Remember Microsoft access, he was using that and he was doing student billing. And uh, he, I think last year he did three and a half million turnover. And um, you just see, like you meet that individual and you're like, wow okay, there's something there. And he's like so determined and bootstrapped um, that, you know, you kind of, it's a no brainer. It's like, right, it's worth putting the time and, and you know, money into, et cetera. So they're the ones that I like. Yeah. No, definitely. Do you have a pipeline on how to find these? How to find these no, people? they find me. I never have to look. Literally, I never have to look. <laughs> so I, um, it's like, I don't know what happened at some point. I, and I never advertised the fact that I invested other than I've invested in stuff. Um, yeah, I, at one point last year, I was getting like 50 decks a week. And it's just like sent to me. Um, and um, yeah, I've never, I've never had to look for it. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great spot to be. So you characterize yourself as what? An angel investor? Or are you becoming more institutionalized? Uh, no, I don't. Because I don't. I don't really like the term angel investor because it's too sweeping. Um, I'm just, uh, do you know what? I'm just a techie guy who geek, who happened to do well, happened to mess up, do well again. Um, and all this stuff I do is deja vu, right? So all these businesses I work with, like I've seen it all before. I've made the mistakes, etc. So I just, you know, that's why I'm, I use the grumpy entrepreneur really as my, as my branding. Cause I was kind of like, I'm quite cynical. Uh, I am very grumpy. My wife actually named me the grumpy entrepreneur. So that tells you something. And, um, <laughs> and I kind of, uh, I, you just then I've done, this is like, this is like history just repeats itself and repeats itself. So, um, I don't call myself an angel investor. I just, you know, I'm a guy who gets stuff done. Yeah. And as I said, the other day, you know, there's a lot going on in the world at the moment. And that's actually when I'm at my best, when people have problems, you know, I am that troubleshooter. And I used to be a, tro- you know, all the businesses I worked for, I was always the troubleshooter. He would just figure it out and get it done. And I'm doing the same now with businesses, yeah? And it's kind of what I always wanted to do. Like, I love fixing stuff. So, um, I, you know, if I fix it with investment, if I fix it with my experience or friends or network or whatever ideas, then that's, you know, it's a brilliant thing. That's great. That's great. David, thank you so much for your time here. We're wrapping up for now. You're welcome. Uh, I'm going to ask for five minutes. I'm going to take you off recording. But uh, for everyone who's listening right now, I mean, this has been a great wealth of knowledge. Uh, definitely reach out to the Grumpy Entrepreneur. You're on LinkedIn. Where can people find you for more information? Uh, so, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty easy to find. And, yeah, I'm, I will always answer an email. It might be one line, but it will be answered. <laughs> great. Awesome. So yeah, definitely uh, reach out to the Grumpy Entrepreneur. Uh, apparently he takes on a lot of uh, pitch decks and uh, is willing to take uh, some calls. 
So hopefully some people get some value out of this. And thank you again, David.